This is Blooming Transformations with your host, Laura Kossoff. Welcome to Blooming Transformations. I'm Laura Kossoff, and I'm so excited to learn from today's guest and very pleased to introduce her. Dr. Bonnie Brock of Acacia Natural Medicine is a doctor of naturopathic medicine and a registered dietitian. In private practice in Arizona, she seeks to guide patients back to health with nutrition education, accessible lifestyle modification, and non-judgmental support. Welcome, Dr. Brock. Thank you for having me. So please tell us about your work and the path that led you to a career in naturopathic medicine. Absolutely. So I was a registered dietitian first, and I really have been studying nutrition most of my academic life. I started studying at Cornell University for a bachelor's degree in human nutrition. And then I went into a master's of public health program at Tulane University. That was a more epidemiologic study of nutrition. So studying diseases and, you know, these people eat this, they get that disease. These people eat that, they get this disease, that kind of a thing. And it was also at Tulane that I became a registered dietitian. So started working in the hospital as a dietitian, and I was mainly focused on gastroenterology. That was my interest was gastroenterology. Anything to do with the gut is what I'm really interested in. And I worked as a dietitian for a while. And then I started working with women and looking at relationship to, with food. So eating disorders, binge eating, weight management, just all of those idiosyncrasies, women, everyone, but women, particularly in my case, that's what I was working with, um, and how they react with food to stress, to emotion, all of those types of things. So that was really what led my career for a while as a dietitian. Then I had my own health crisis. So you sometimes you find people in natural medicine ended up there because they had their own health crisis, and then they were experiencing the traditional medical system from the patient side, and it was less than satisfying. Yes. And I think you and I have talked before about that being both of, in both of our histories. Yeah. And in my case, I had gained about 180 pounds in three years time. Didn't know why I would go to my doctor. They would suggest weight loss programs, um, antidepressants, all of those things. But I didn't feel like anyone was really searching for the root of what was happening with me. And that made me uncomfortable. And I didn't want to just band-aid my circumstances with a diet program or a weight loss drug or an antidepressant drug. And so I had to really become my own health advocate. Mm-hmm. Um, and in doing so, found out I had um, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, so mm-hmm. the autoimmune disorder of the thyroid. And once I finally did arrive at that diagnosis, really wasn't offered much more than drugs as a, as a treatment plan. And that was a little bit disheartening to me. So I started to investigate something different and that's how I found natural medicine. And in healing myself from those circumstances, I ended up going back to school for a doctorate in naturopathic medicine and naturopathic medicine was a good fit for me because it was a four-year doctorate program really based in science. Mm -hmm. So very evidence-based Um, medicine, but with a bend that looks for the body to heal itself first. Mm -hmm. So understanding that there are higher interventions that are sometimes necessary, surgery, medications, antibiotics, all of those things. But the first line of treatment is typically 
looking to the body, removing the barriers to health, basically, and trying to help guide the body back to health in its own inherent kind of natural healing. So that's what drew me to naturopathic medicine. So went to this doctorate program, um, graduated, did an internship, and then started back out into private practice, working as both a registered dietitian, so I didn't forget my roots, but then also adding to it a layer of this naturopathic medicine. So it's been really great. I've been helping people kind of find the roots to their dysfunction and lead them back to health for many years now. So your approach is to look at the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. Um, Is that a correct assessment of how you work? Absolutely. Um, Patients are always so surprised when I make that initial appointment with them. And I say to them, plan to be here an hour and a half. And then I always start some point in the beginning of the, of the appointment. I say, I'm going to ask you so many questions in so many random, you're going to find them to be random. And you might be thinking, why does she need to know this? Like, is she nosy? Why is she asking this? (laughs) But I'm really just trying to get an entire picture of you, not just your symptoms, but you know, who do you live with? How is your spirituality? You know, are you, do you have job satisfaction? Do you have a social network? Do you drink water? Do you exercise? Do you, you know, all of those things, because all of those things contribute to your overall health, not just your symptom picture. And so I always tell people, I'm trying to Sherlock it out, right? I'm trying to really get an entire picture of you so I can get to the bottom of what's going on. Yeah, I really agree with that integrative approach. I think it allows us to be seen and understood in the totality of who we are and what we're experiencing. So since today's topic is stress management, would you explain to us what happens in the body when we experience stress? Sure. So when the body experiences stress, it, it causes two separate but interrelated responses. And both of those responses are mediated by the brain, of course, and the brain's direction to the adrenal glands. So your adrenal glands are two small glands that sit on top of each kidney on either side. And the part of the brain that is involved is the hypothalamus. It's called the hypothalamus, and that's what regulates something called the autonomic nervous system. So for all intents and purposes, you can think of the autonomic nervous system as the automatic nervous system. So meaning that we don't have much conscious control over it. It's an automatic thing that happens without you thinking about it. It's very reactionary. So this system this part of the brain regulates the autonomic nervous system through control of an endocrine gland. So the brain is, is impacting the nervous system by controlling an endocrine gland. So it's very interesting interrelationship in the body. Endocrine system is what controls your hormones. So the adrenal glands have these two main stress response hormones. The first of which is adrenaline. You might also hear it called epinephrine. And the other is cortisol. And one is a more immediate hormone in adrenaline, and one is a more chronic stress hormone in cortisol. So that immediate hormone, which is adrenaline, responds when you hear something like a gunshot, or you need to stand up and and give a presentation in front of a group of people, or you have a near miss in your car, something like that. Um, That's your kind of immediate stress response. And so the brain reads that stress and generates a response. 
And it's called the sympathetic response. And that you may have heard of as the fight or flight response. So in this fight or flight response, the brain creates these automatic changes in your body to facilitate either fighting something or fleeing something, right? And so let's think about that. Like why in this day and age, that seems like an odd response. Like why are we prepping for fighting or fleeing? Because that's not really what needs to happen now in this time of stress. But we have been evolutionarily selected that way for this response, meaning that in early human times, stress mainly represented some sort of immediate danger, like a larger animal chasing us Mm -hmm. or a rival clan coming to fight us Mm -hmm. or a natural weather disaster that we needed to like escape. So it was a much different type of stress. It was something that we actually did need to fight or we needed to run away from. And so when I say we've been evolutionarily selected that way, what that means is those of us that were able to automatically, again, autonomically, automatically switch into this fight or flight response, we were much better adapted to get away from whatever we needed to get away from or to fight whatever we needed to fight. Those of us who had to hang around and think about these changes and make these changes, they perished. And so that's how evolution works. Evolutionarily, we've been selected this way. We survived. So we, this reaction, sort of the system persists in us. So even though the stress we experience today is not really always life-threatening, still, of course, some of it is, but for the most part, it's a much more cerebral kind of stress today. So we're not really being eaten by a tiger, but instead we kind of get the side eye from our mother-in-law or mm-hmm. our boss, you know, or our boss says, come meet me in, uh, before you leave in my office, mm-hmm. or, you know, I don't know, we look at social media and we see something we don't quite agree with, or we don't quite like. So that is what our stress is more like today. These are more modern stressors, but yet we still react with this very inborn fight or flight response. And how does this response to stress affect our health? In those brain mediated automatic reactions, a couple of things happen to prepare us for this running or this fighting. So what happens is our pupils dilate, right? So we can take in a larger field of vision. So if something's coming at us from far away, we can see that. Our ears, our hearing becomes much more attuned. So if something steps on a twig 50 yards away, we can hear it. And much of our blood is pumped to the periphery, meaning our internal arterioles constrict and sacrifice blood going to the GI system or the reproductive system for blood flowing to the periphery, meaning our peripheral vessels open up. And so now we need blood and oxygen to our big muscles, muscles of the back in case we have to punch, muscles of the legs in case we have to run, things like that. Our heart rate pump starts going faster to get that blood to those areas. Our bronchi dilate so we can get more oxygen in. And so your body really makes a decision and it it, it makes the decision, we're going to sacrifice the internal organs of the core in order to escape this situation, which will hopefully be over in moments or minutes. And we're going to pump all of our resources out to the periphery. So your body like makes that decision for you thinking, if we survive this, then we will restore that nutrition to the core. 
But what happens is we end up under chronic stress. And so many of us end up stuck in this system, right? So we're stuck in this autonomic nervous system, this sympathetic um, division. So our internal organs suffer because they don't get fed adequate nutrition. So what happens there? So you can have decreased motility in the stomach and the intestines. So you may end up with constipation. The pancreas may not get fed um, proper nutrition. And so it can reduce its enzyme production. So you get maldigestion, malabsorption. Um, you know, so that can end up looking like an IBS or an IBD, some, um, some sort of GI uh, distress. You can have the um, rings of muscle that sit on top of the stomach, separating the stomach from the esophagus cannot they can become dysfunctional because they're not getting fed adequate nutrition. And that is what protects your esophagus from the stomach acid. And so you end up with GERD or gastroesophageal reflux because that acid is splashing up on that stomach all the time. So all of these things are symptoms basically of being in this chronic sympathetic response. Now that's a lot of GI symptoms I talked about. And then of course, there's also reproductive system uh, problems residing in that sympathetic state can be very problematic for the body, particularly for those two systems. So how do we shift from a stress response where the sympathetic nervous system is triggered to the activation of the parasympathetic nervous system where we return to a state of balance? Yeah. So the parasympathetic is the opposite state. So that is the rest and digest state. You know, it's the, I like to say that it's the Netflix and chill kind of state. So <laughs> you're interested in eating, you're interested in sex, you're interested in relaxing and you need, it's really all of those reactions in the body of the sympathetic division, it reverses and you get back to blood flow, back to the core and back to the, to the um, organs. You can relax, you can, you know, settle down. And so how do we switch back and forth is a, is a really great question. Um, and that's, there's a lot of things you can do naturally in order to promote that. Um, this is, and again, this is what we're talking about is really regulated by the, that initial stress response, that acute stress response that we end up stuck in. The, the other half of this though, is you have a delayed stress response as well. So those adrenal glands also produce cortisol. And so what happens when you're under elevated levels of cortisol for long periods of time is you have an, there's an immune response there and it decreases your immunity. So when you have elevated levels of cortisol over long periods of time, you end up with this chronic stress state that increases your inflammatory cytokines. So you end up with this inflammation and you end up with immune dysregulation. So your immune system is weakened. It really ravages the immune system. Stress ravages the immune system. And I think we have learned that this past 18 months, that we have all been under this kind of collective stress, chronic stress, and we have all done all we can to boost our immunity. And it's really unfortunate because the, the one thing that is the worst for, for the immune system is chronic stress. And so we've been in this really very difficult situation over the past 18 months. And so we've learned a lot about that impact of long-term cortisol and what it does to the immune system. And so in that learning, we've learned a lot of things 
about different agents we can use or different practices we can use to both reduce that cortisol and return us back to the parasympathetic. And so you asked me, what are some of those things? From a botanical standpoint, there are a lot of things we can use and they're called adaptogens. And, and what they do is they really just make us better at adapting to these stressful situations. They just make that response softer, basically. They soften that you know really strong stress response. And so there's a lot of different plants out there that we can use and you can use them in different forms. You see people using plants as tinctures. Um, so that means little liquids that typically you put in your mouth. People use them as supplements in a pill form or a supplement a capsule form. People can use them in an essential oil form. So you see a lot of these plants being used in a lot of different ways. Most of them I would say are anti-inflammatory, adaptogenic. Some of them are immunomodulating, meaning they kind of have their work done on the immune system directly. Many of them are also antibacterial, antiviral, antioxidant. So they all work in a little bit of different ways. And that's the subtlety of finding a practitioner who understands that, understands those subtleties. And so everyone is, is an individual with individual stress response and circumstances. And so finding a practitioner that doesn't just use the number one and number two adaptogens for everybody, but finding somebody who really understands what you're particularly going through and how to use these plants in a way that really suits your circumstance. That's what I think is really the most important um, when you're looking for an alternative practitioner, functional medicine practitioners. Some of the plants that we're talking about, a very popular one is, is probably the most popular is ashwagandha, and that is an adaptogenic herb, um, very strongly works on the cortisol response. So it can really help reduce that cortisol level. Another one is astragalus. So astragalus is also adaptogenic, but works mainly on the immune system. So particularly the past 18 months, you'll see people using astragalus a little bit more because it has immunomodulating properties. And then the world of mushrooms. I mean, the world of mushrooms, if you, if you haven't dipped your toe into that world, it's really the place to look of the two, in my mind, most exciting parts of natural medicine right now. The first is the microbiome. And so all of the bacteria and parasites and viruses that harmoniously live within you, um, in your gut. So that is one of the most exciting areas of research going on. But the second most exciting area, I believe in natural medicine is mushrooms, whole world of mushrooms that really live beneath us in the earth. The mycelium just expands everywhere. There's a lot of great documentaries and TED Talks about mushrooms. And so a lot of these mushrooms are highly adaptogenic. And so cordyceps is one of those that can be used, also has great antimicrobial properties. And then turkey tail. Turkey tail is a mushroom. Sometimes you'll see it growing on trees. It actually looks like a turkey's plume. And you'll see it kind of sticking out of trees. And that is a, a very important mushroom for the immune system. It's just the areas of research in mushrooms. It's just really exciting. And every week, something more interesting comes out. So in your work, you focus on finding the underlying cause of illness or imbalance and treating it through nutrition, natural remedies, and wellness practices, rather than simply suppressing or minimizing the symptoms, just supporting the body in healing itself. Absolutely. So the root of all of this is reducing the stress. 
right? Mm -hmm. That's really the root of it all. And so any of those lifestyle things that you can do to help you reduce stress will help with this response. And Mm -hmm. so whether that be behavioral health counseling, whether that be just open conversations with people who are causing you stress in your life, you know, and communicating, whether that be um, exercise, exercise is really one of the best things. I've always understood exercise as a tool for changing cardiovascular health and cancer prevention, weight management, all of that. But when I started to look at the impact of exercise on stress, it was really the only reason I exercised to tell you the truth is the stress response. Um, Because if you think about what exercise does, if you go back to our understanding of the fight or flight response, so what I am preparing to fight or I am preparing to flee exercise is actually resetting that system. So if I go running, then my body is almost hacked into thinking, Oh, I ran, I escaped. I can reset this response. Or let's say I go to boxing or kickboxing or, you know, what have you, something like that. My body is hacked into thinking, oh, okay, I fought, I won, I was victorious. I can reset this system. I can move myself back into the parasympathetic. So that to me is worth exercise alone. Physical benefits aside, the impact that it has on anxiety and depression and stress, I mean, are that is immeasurable. So I, I talk to my patients a lot about even if you just do it for your head, I think it's worth it. You'll find that um, patients will tell you once they started exercising, they felt so much better. And, and I don't know if you've had that experience as well, but I definitely have. Yes, absolutely. So as we wind down here, Do you have any closing thoughts for anyone who is looking to modify their stress response and be in a more balanced state? Just any thoughts on where they can begin? So the first, the first thing I would say to do is understand that the power is in your hands to make these changes. So making a patient feel empowered, like you are not at the behest of a medication. You are not at the behest of your doctor and what they think you should do, that there are so many things you can do that will help you feel better. And so just first putting the power back into the hand of the patient Mm -hmm. and having them understand that there's plenty they can do. And so we talked about exercise. Obviously I'm a dietitian, so I have to talk about nutrition. I mean, if you give your body healthy foods, fats, you know, healthy fats, a good source of um, protein, vitamins and minerals coming from plants. If you give your body all of those things, you will be much better prepared to, to adapt to stress. And so just changing what you eat, kind of getting some of the, the junky chemical foods out, returning to maybe a more whole plant-based diet can really help somebody with their stress response. And then finding your thing. So yoga, therapy, Reiki, um, meditation, any of those things that can help you drag you back into the sympathetic. So whether it be a hobby that you enjoy, whatever works for you. And of course it's different for everyone, but all of those types of things can just help drag you from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic. And I think it's important for people to understand that there's plenty that you can do to help yourself feel much better. For more information on Dr. Brock's work, including her virtual consultations and her in-person 12-week fertility boot camp in Arizona, you can go to her website, acacianaturalmedicine.com. 
I will include this link on the podcast page on Buzzsprout and also on my website where the podcast episodes are listed. Dr. Brock, thank you for the wonderful work you're doing to help people achieve wellness, body, mind, and soul, for empowering individuals to make choices to improve their well-being, and for honoring the body's natural ability to heal. This has been such an illuminating conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your work with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. The contents of this podcast were provided for informational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for consultations with qualified health professionals. Thank you very much for listening. This is Laura Kossoff. To learn more about my work, please visit my website, bloominglifepossibilities.com.